Thank you for downloading this podcast from Awakening Church. Amen. Yeah, you guys are good. Thanks. Although you're right by the fan, so you may want to sit there. <laughs> Hallelujah. Well, this is probably not a good time to talk about the power of positive thinking if you're thinking that it's cold, because it's just not. So, right? <clears throat> Hallelujah. Well, super thankful for what the Lord is doing, what He's saying. I was just a little overwhelmed when we started worship. Um, I don't know if y'all could feel it, but as soon as worship started, it was almost like a a rush of wind just kind of hit the room, and uh, his presence was just immediate. And um, I just began to think about... Uh, <laughs> My, well, really just me being human. You know, sometimes we, we come in, we get frustrated with, with where we are and, and what's going on. And he never fails to show up. He never fails to show up. You know, and I, th- I think about that, you know, just all of the stuff that had to happen just this morning, you know, set up and clean up and all of that stuff. And, you know, it's just part of it. And, and, it's so easy sometimes, it's just honestly, isn't it? It's easy for us to get in our head and get aggravated and all of that stuff. It's so easy. Uh, we, don't, we don't even have to work at it. It just, you know, it's easy. But he never fails to show up. He never fails to show up. And uh, I'm so grateful for that. So thankful for all that's happening um, in Kentucky and around us. Um, really multiple times this week I was trying to go a different direction um, in in regard to some of the stuff that that we've been talking about and just absolutely the Lord wouldn't let me and so we're going to jump back into this whole idea of the river and uh, I want to read a couple of quotes that I I read uh, a couple of weeks ago kind of started us on this path here Um, Leonard Ravenhill said that the only reason we don't have revival is because we're willing to live without it. The only reason we don't have revival is because we're willing to live without it. John Wesley, another guy who knew a little bit about revival, said that a revival is no more a miracle than a crop of wheat. In any community, revival can be secured from heaven when heroic souls enter the conflict determined to win or die, or if need be, to win and die. And um, I feel like that we have, uh, we, we've, we've moved into a unique moment specifically in Kentucky. And uh, even here, uh, the Lord is just continuing to move. I know Rebecca mentioned the Florence meetings, um, the Western Kentucky meetings. They're taking a break this week, jumping right back on it next week. And uh, so it, it's just really, really amazing. Um, You know, sometimes, sometimes when, when I am preparing to speak or I'm, uh, you know, just really listening for what the Lord wants to say, there are times that I have the thought that, man, Ryan, you sound like a broken record. Like you just say the same thing over and over and over and over again. 
And uh, um, I, sometimes I say to myself, self, you're not wrong, <laughs> you know? Maybe, maybe I do say the same thing over and over again. Um, but there, there, are, there are aspects and things that the Lord has um, deposited in me that have shaped me and shaped who I am, and I, I can't get away from those things. One of those things, the primary thing, is the idea of worship. Worship. I am a worshiper before I'm anything else. I'm a worshiper before I'm anything else. And I have found that his presence is the answer to every question that I may have. His presence is the answer to every question that, that may come about. So um, I'm, I'm going to talk about that a little bit. I'm, I'm, I'm going to... I'm just going to pray right now. I, I know that it's hot, and sometimes when you're going in worship, it, it can be difficult to focus in. But let, let's focus for a few minutes and lock in, and then we'll see what he wants to do, okay? Father, in the name of Jesus, we just thank you. We thank you for the breath of wind that we felt in this place. We just say increase that in Jesus' name. And um, we, we just ask that you would give us uh, ears to hear today and hearts to know what you want us to do with your word. Lord, we just say we will fight for focus today to hear exactly what it is what, that you're wanting to say to us in, in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, one of the things that I am convinced of as I, as I have traveled and as I have studied revivals and as I have um, engaged and encountered different revivals across the land, one of the things that I am absolutely 100% convinced of is that in order for revival to be sustained, in order for a move of God to be sustained, worship has to dominate the room. Worship has to dominate the room. And um, th that's why we've been saying for the last several weeks that extravagant demonstration on our part will unlock extravagant demonstration on God's part. And real worship really looks like us wasting ourselves on Jesus. <coughs> so you, you hear us use this, this term a lot around here that we want to build Jesus a bigger throne. One of the reasons we say that is because I want worshipers to begin to recapture what spiritual warfare looks like. The, you know, we went through a time in the body of Christ where spiritual warfare looked like identifying demons and it looked like, um, you know, just trying to almost match manifestations in, in the body of Christ to show that we had authority and, and all of this other stuff. And, and I really feel like that, that as we have, have progressed in the revelation that the Lord has for us, that we understand that the only, the only significant way to engage in spiritual warfare is just to build Jesus a bigger throne than the principality that has attempted to establish roots wherever it may be. And so that looks like worship. And when we build Jesus a bigger throne, what we're doing is we're saying, we want you to come and establish your government here. Now, we've been talking about the river of God for several weeks, and we've looked at it from Psalm 1, we've looked at it from Ezekiel 47, we've looked at it uh, from Revelation 22. Uh, Jesus said in John chapter 7 that he that believes on me, as the scripture has said it, out of his belly will flow rivers of living water. And so the question becomes, where's the river coming from? Is it coming from the temple? Is it coming just, just flowing like it is in Psalm 1? Is it coming from the throne? Is it coming from my insides? And, and a few weeks ago, 
I, I talked to you, I don't even remember, I said a few weeks ago, it could have been last week, I don't remember. But anyway, I was talking to you about um, the flow of the river in Ezekiel 47 geographically. Do you remember that? When, was that last week or the week before? Anyway, so I was talking about the fact that it's flowing eastward. In order to flow eastward, it has to start west. And he went out to the north gate, according to Ezekiel 47, to get a correct perspective of that. Really gave some prophetic significance to that in Kentucky. Okay, you remember that? And then I made a statement. I said, but I'm going to show you eventually how in the New Testament, geographics don't really matter. Why would I say that? If it's flowing from the temple, if it's flowing from the throne, why would I say that in the New Testament geography doesn't really matter. Do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit, right? So is it flowing from the temple? Is it flowing from the throne? Or is it flowing from your inside? What about this? It's flowing from someone who's been willing to lay their life down and allow God to come establish government in their lives so that the river can flow through them <coughs> To the nations. And, and so I, I just really want to talk to you about that just a little bit. So let's go to Revelation chapter 22, um, verses 1 and 2. We had a great question last week um, talking about the river. Diana was asking, what, you know, the river, why would there need to be trees in heaven where leaves are for the healing of the nations if everything is perfect in heaven? And, and so we just kind of dialogue through that. And I'm going to jump a little deeper into that today. Um, one of the things that I'm convinced of is, is and, and we talked about this last week, we take so many of the promises. I'm actually going to be in the uh, Passion Translation today. Sorry, I didn't give that to you. Um, we take so many of the promises in Scripture and we apply them to heaven. And so we really have built doctrine, eschatology, and theology based on the fact that we just get to escape. And, and it's going to get out. And, now, listen, don't get me wrong. I'm thankful for heaven, and I can't wait. But I'm also thankful that Jesus gave us a mandate to pray on earth as it is in heaven. With that mandate, I don't have to wait for a rapture to receive the promises that he has released in us. And, I, and I'm going to show you that, that, that everything that Jesus did, we've talked about this, every miracle Jesus did on earth, he did it as a man, giving us an indication of what was available and telling us that these things that I've done and greater works you're going to do because I go to my Father in heaven. So he's giving us an indication that, that here on earth there are things to be released and we don't have to wait for those promises just when we're, when we're raptured into heaven, okay? So, so let's look at this. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life flowing with water clear as crystal, continuously pouring out from the throne of God and of the Lamb. The river was flowing in the middle of the street of the city, and on either side of the river was the tree of life with its 12 kinds of ripe fruit according to each month of the year. The leaves of the tree of life are for the healing of the nations. Now, let me say this. I understand that most of us have appropriated almost everything in Revelation to the coming of Jesus. And... In, in some cases, rightfully so. But I also want to say that if we read Revelation and we get the rapture, we get Armageddon, which you're not really going to get the rapture because it's not in the Bible. That word is not in the Bible. Let me be clear. I absolutely believe in a catching away. I don't, I don't want anybody to think that. I absolutely believe in that. 
that Jesus is coming, there will be a catching away. Just telling you, you don't find the word rapture in the Bible. It's just not there. And so we've appropriated all, and I'm not even talking about eschatology today. I just have to explain that though, because you start messing with people and how they think about that stuff. And then, you know, all of a sudden I'm a heretic and yada, yada, yada. And and, and so I believe, I absolutely believe that Jesus is coming. Uh, He's just not coming today. And I can prove that to you, but it doesn't matter. Um, <laughs> I can feel like I can feel it rising in the room. Now, brother, we got to be ready anytime. I understand we have to be ready, and great grandma had to be ready, and grandma had to be ready, and uh, you know, all on down the road. And what happened is we created a doctrine of escapism, what I was talking about a while ago, that once once we get to heaven, everything's going to be good. It's going to suck down here. It's terrible. You know, life is, is really bad. But when we get to heaven, everything will be happy over there. Uh, <laughs> hallelujah. So I just, I have to kind of explain that a little bit. But uh, anyway. <laughs> hallelujah. We've adopted so many uh, promises um, as if it were only happening in heaven. I, I'll give you a really good one that you can study. Isaiah 35. Go, go read Isaiah 35 this week and, and look at everything that happens in Isaiah 35. And you're going to be like, oh my goodness, this sounds amazing. There's no more sickness. There's no more predators. Da, 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 da. It's all there. And then realize that there's so many things in Isaiah 35 that we are told will not be in heaven. So it can't be heaven that Isaiah 35 is talking about. It's talking about a wilderness blooming right now. And, and, uh, I, why, what in the world, where am I going? <laughs> Trying to talk about the river. The earth was a wilderness before he planted a garden eastward. He can plant a garden wherever he wants. Okay. Susan, I'm trying, I'm trying to stay focused. Hallelujah. Okay. Revelation 22. Here we see the river flowing from the throne of God and from the lamb down the middle of the city, trees on either side. Same scenario we see in Ezekiel 47 and, and ultimately in Psalm 1. Um, and, and, and Psalm 1 is so amazing. Blessed is the man, or Passion Translation, what delight he finds who does not walk in the path of sinners or sit in the seat of the scornful. I want you to catch that. Sometimes when we read the Bible, we read it and then we don't invert it because I, I, I love to, to think critically even about the Bible, right? And so if it says, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly nor sits in the seat of the scornful, whose delight is in the law of the Lord, and day and night does he meditate on that, <coughs> then the inversion has to be true. That if I walk in the path of sinners and I sit in the seat of the scornful, then I'm disqualifying myself from what he says happens if I don't do that. And, and, and so, so what I want us to understand is that when he talks to us about being planted by a river, 
he's giving you something that says, listen, if you don't do this, it, it's going to be... It's going to be a different scenario than what I'm laying out for you right here. But when you do this, this is exactly what happens. That you'll be rooted like a tree planted by rivers of living water whose leaf will produce fruit in every season. In every season. And, and one of the things that, that I feel like is a mandate of mine is to get the body of Christ to understand that when God does something in your life, he doesn't do things with temporary in mind. He has never done things with temporary in mind. The Bible says that he set eternity in our hearts. So he absolutely does things with an eternal significance in mind so that we can see the overall picture of what he's wanting to do. Okay, so the river is flowing. His throne is established. The river is flowing from the throne. Watch this. God's throne... So this is the result of him establishing government. His throne represents government. I just told you about building Jesus a bigger throne. Here's what I want to tell you. God's throne will not share the real estate of your heart. God's throne will not share the real estate of your heart, and it will not cohabitate with things that are opposite of his heart and his will. One of the things that I see is that we cry out for God to come. We cry out for God to come. We want you to come. We want you to come. We want you to come. And, and sometimes just because we don't necessarily have a revelation, what we really mean is we want you to come and fix what I can see in this moment. It's exactly what the children of Israel did. It's exactly what the Pharisees did. I want you to come and I want you to fix the oppression of Rome because that's what looks like it is bothering me right now. And Jesus never even addressed it. Why? Because Jesus came with the idea, he came with a new paradigm to say, listen, if I can get you to think right and to change your heart, then those things are not going to matter to you at all. And over time, we've seen that. You've heard me ask this before. How many of you were oppressed by Rome this week? Right? No, nobody was oppressed by Rome, right? So why? Because it's not even valid at this point. And what he was trying to say is if you can see correctly and you can see me rightly, you're going to realize it's not even valid. And, and, and so when I say that his throne will not cohabitate, we ask for Jesus to come into our lives. But sometimes what we want him to do is share our heart with the other things that we're pulling on to give us significance. And here's what I've come to learn. His throne is not going to cohabitate with doubt. It's just not. His throne is not going to cohabitate with perversion. And so we can ask and ask and ask, and, and we, can, we can beg and plead and, and, you know, cut ourselves like the prophets of Baal did, whatever we want to do to think we're going to get him to come. And I'm just telling you, in his grace, and this is what you need to hear, it's in his grace that he's not going to come and share real estate in your heart. He is going to wait and prepare you until he has every area of your heart so that he can come and release government. The government is so important. Why am I talking about that? Because it's on earth as it is in heaven. The throne of God that we see, heaven is his throne, scripture, earth is his footstool. If we want on earth as it is in heaven, it is our responsibility as sons and daughters to make that come to pass. He puts it in our hearts. We begin to pursue his government and we ask him to establish his government. The benefit of him establishing his government is that a river begins to flow. 
And when you find places across this nation where there has been a flow of a river over a long period of time, it's because they have set their hearts to allow his government to be established. And one of the things that I'm finding in the body of Christ, I'm not talking to the world. One of the things I'm finding in the body of Christ is we want the temporary fix because we want Jesus to come and share part of our heart. I want you here, but I really don't want you to come and really dominate every area because I may need that tomorrow. Watch, I'm going to mess with you right here. You can't have the throne and the same thought process and thought life that you have right now. You can't. I can't. I cannot have a, a, a thought life that is opposite of the things of God and really expect him to come establish his throne in my life, his government. I can't have the same thought processes. You've heard me talk about this a lot of times, that, that you know, if you think that three plus two, and I forgot the equation now, what, I, what I've used. If you think that three plus two, and, and uh, what am I trying to do? And five, if you think, Jesus' name, four plus three and three plus two, We'll get you to 12 is what I'm trying to say. Help me, Jesus. Right? But if you think that looking at 4 plus 4 plus 4 is the same thing, you have missed it. Right? 4 plus 4 plus 4 is 12, right? But if you're looking at these equations and somehow you come up that, that 3 plus 2 and 4 plus 3 will get me the same thing, it's an incorrect thought process to look at the equation and see different numbers and say, well, I got the end result anyway. And what's happening in the body of Christ is we're looking at things and saying, hey, I'm getting the end result, kind of, and so I'm okay with that, but we have an incorrect thought process. And when you do that, he's not coming to establish his throne. Why? Because his throne requires that you give him everything. His government requires that you give him everything. And so what we're experiencing, what I feel like is the uptick in Awakening Church, is that we're finding a people who are saying, you know what, I really want you to come and establish your government in my life, so I'm willing to do some things that are different, to make some adjustments so that you can really come and move in, because he's not going to cohabitate. Watch this. So why is worship such a big deal? Because in Psalm 22, the Bible says that he is enthroned by the praises of his people. This is what I know, that even when I don't have a right ideology, when I begin to worship him, he comes close. And when he comes close, then it positions me to make the adjustment in my mind so that I can begin to think correctly. I just want to tell you, if, if, if he's not coming to establish his throne in a person whose thought life is dominated by the natural, he's just not doing it. As a matter of fact, it's detrimental to you for him to do that. It's detrimental for him to come and establish his throne while you're still dominated by a natural perspective. And here's what I know. Coming to church puts no pressure on you to really change your mind. Did, watch this. Did you know that coming to church puts no pressure on you to stop sinning? Coming to church puts no pressure on you to stop sinning. Why? Because we know how to play the game. We know how to do it. We know how to, we, we know how to make it happen. But I promise you this, you cannot get close to his throne 
You cannot get close to his throne and continue down the same path. That absolutely puts pressure on you to make adjustments. And what happens is you have to then make a decision. Am I going to make adjustments and change and come close to the throne? Or am I going to make adjustments and change and go further away from what he's doing? And, and so when he comes to establish his government, what he's doing is he's coming to establish the reign of his throne, the reign of what's happening in heaven on earth. Does that make sense? Are y'all okay? Okay. I really want to hit this again because some of us, some of us are dominated by our thought life. Some of us are just absolutely dominated by what we see, and you cannot have the throne and your same thought life and, and same thought process at the same time. It has to be redeemed. It has to be renewed. How can I say this? Because when we live in our head, it keeps us from experiencing the fullness of his government. Do you know why? Man, I, can, I could write the book on this because I have done it over and over and, and continue to. I'm struggling to, to fix it. Why? Because I'm a thinker. Literally, I'm an analytical thinker. You know, you have those people who say, I just can't be alone because I don't, I don't even want to be with my thoughts. I am the exact opposite. Man, put me on an eight-hour road trip. I won't turn the radio on, not one time. And I'm just sitting there just thinking over and over every aspect of, of one little particular thing. I mean, just thinking. And what happens is when we get in our heads and we live from the place of our heads, he can't come establish his throne because he's competing with things that we have marked as absolute. He's competing with things that we have justified as okay. He's competing with things that we have said, well, it, it didn't hurt me that bad, or it didn't hurt them that bad, so maybe it works. Or watch this. Or it brought me a measure of comfort to be able to think that way. So I'm not going to make the adjustment and the whole time he's saying, listen, what I have is better because I'm able to eradicate. One of the things that, that really just um, uh, rustles my jimmies. That's what, that's what Cameron said. It just rustles. Tell you what, it just rustles my jimmies. Uh, one of the things that just wears me out about a lot of communities, uh, uh, specifically, um, oh, Jesus. I've already used strong language there, said it wears me out. So there's no way to really back that up because it does. But... The, the counseling community and the medical community, I love them and I'm thankful for them. God gives them revelation. But here's, here's what wears me out about it. There's so much of what they do that is attempting to have you cope with what's wrong. They just want you to, it, it's, it's not to cure, more so in the counseling community. That, well, you're always going to be like that. You're always going to think like that. You, the devil is a liar. If I'm thinking something that is opposite of what the kingdom says, if I'm thinking something that is opposite of what a redeemed mind or a renewed mind would be, it's a lie from the enemy to say that, hey, I'm just going to be stuck like that. And I'm always going to have that temptation and it's never going to move. No. No, that is a lie of culture. And, and so what, what happens in a lot of those, those communities is, is they, want to, they want to help you cope. They, they want to help you cope. We, we, went, we, we took our kids to, to the doctor the other day. And, and uh, no, it was you. It was you that went the other day. Rebecca goes in for, for a certain thing, and they're like, well, you know, I don't know, so just take some steroids and do this. And she's like, well, well no, what's that going to do? Well, you know, maybe this and that and the other, and we'll do an x-ray, and we don't see that. Okay, so just do this. Just trying to get out of the room, and it just, oh, it wears me out. Why? Because they just want us to cope 
with the ailment instead of trying to do something that would cause us to move into a cure, right? It's what, it's what is happening in the body of Christ. We've learned to be okay with coping with ailments. We've learned to be okay with coping with incorrect thought processes. We've learned to be okay with coping with things that are anti-kingdom, that are anti what the Lord has for us. And then we expect God to come establish his throne with these ideas that I'm still going to cope and deal with this other stuff. And it's not going to happen. And when we live in our head, what we're doing is saying, what I have formulated in my intellect is really what I need to get through this situation. I'm going to ask you to come. First of all, I really don't think you're going to, but I'm going to do it because it's a Christian thing to do. I'm going to ask you to help me, but I really don't think you're going to. And also, I'm really still going to do it this way because this worked for me last time. And then a generation misses out on the promised land because you were supposed to speak to something that you kept hitting, Moses. Right? Could you imagine being Moses? Listen, one of the most prolific leaders in the Bible. There's so much to learn from Moses. But can I, I can't tell you, like, I, and I know, I, I know he made it. I know the Lord, you know, has, but I would be so mad throughout all eternity. Are you kidding me? I did all that. I, I, I threw a staff down and it turned into a snake. Did you see what I did as we crossed the Red Sea with that same staff? A burning bush. You talked to me in a burning bush. I was hid in bull rush and they found me. Some of y'all don't even know what bull rush is. You need to go back to Sunday school. Little Moses hidden in the bull rush. You have heard of Fearless David and his sling. There's only about three of y'all really know that song. Right? Could, but could you imagine Moses? And he gets to the end of his life, and the pressure of the culture, the pressure of the people, God says, I want you to speak to this rock. Here's what happened. Moses had seen water come from the rock. He had seen it happen. He had watched the miracle take place. But it happened when he hit it with his staff because that was the commandment the first time. But now God says, I want you to speak to it. And because it didn't happen immediately, he takes the staff and hits it again because he knows that's going to work. It's the same thing that happens to us. And then he misses the promised land. Come on. How many times have we missed out on moves of God? How many times have we missed out on things because it didn't fit our definition? How many times have we missed out on him establishing his government because it didn't look like what we thought it would look like? Who told you what revival would look like? Seriously. Man, I've missed out on so many things because I expected that it was going to happen on a Sunday morning or it's going to happen. Actually, back in the day, I thought it was going to happen on a Sunday night because that was the only time God really moved was on Sunday night because there was no room for it on Sunday morning because we had to get everybody in and get them out. But now Sunday night was the wild service. Seriously, can you? I mean, we were raised in this stuff, guys. We were raised in this. And so I had no expectation for Sunday morning. But my God, I couldn't wait to get to Sunday night. It's the same God. And how many times have we missed the move of God because it didn't fit what we thought it was supposed to look like? And the whole time we're saying, I want you to come establish your throne. I want you to come establish your throne. There's no way that it can look like this because it's going to be that. There's no way that it could do this because of this, that, and the other. I've gone into, listen, I'm just being honest. I have gone in to places where they have had a move of God, and I've gone in with a critical spirit and thought, well, man, I don't feel anything different than da-da-da-da-da. Well, of course I'm not going to, because he's not going to come establish his throne in my heart and my mind when I'm coming in there critiquing everything and thinking about, oh, well, it doesn't look like this, so it must not. 
Seriously, this is why I tell you that worship is so important. You don't worship God just when you feel like it. He's not worthy based on whether or not you're tired. <laughs> He's not worthy based on whether or not you had a good week. You understand that that's the part of maturity, right? Ephesians 4. Remember we talked about that? That the mark of maturity is that I'm not easily swayed by trouble. <laughs> if we want him to come establish his throne, we have to make adjustments so that he'll come and stay. We, we, we have been adept at asking him to come and visit. Our opportunity is to ask him to come and stay. Listen, th this right here, what we're doing right now, it's equipping you for what's going to happen tomorrow. Because it's, it's pretty easy when you've got a band and you've got someone leading. It's, pr it's pretty easy to get into his presence. As a matter of fact, you kind of got to work to not get into his presence in a corporate setting on Sunday morning. It's true. And some of y'all been in dry churches before. And so you come in here and you're like, oh, my goodness, we don't have to do anything. Just, just a river rat the whole time in here, right? So it's pretty, e pretty easy in here. But tomorrow, are you still going to be walking in the demonstration of the kingdom? Uh, tomorrow, are you going to address your spouse like you would with the demonstration of the kingdom? Are you going to address your coworkers that get on your nerves? You know that one that just absolutely wears you out? Uh, seriously, are they going to see the kingdom demonstrating? Are your children going to see that? Or do they see some made-up thing that happens on Sunday morning? You know one of the saddest things that ever happened in youth ministry is I had a kid that, man, I, I did everything I knew to bring him close. I did everything I knew. Everything that I could do to get this kid to go after Jesus. And he finally told me one day, he said, man, he said, you know why I don't even believe in God? I mean, come to church every time. He was at youth group every time, every youth trip, everything. He said, you know why I don't believe in God? He said, because what I see at home doesn't match what I see at church. He said, what my parents are doing at home. He said, I don't want that. I don't want anything like that. And he's not in church today. Why? Because it's easy to do it in here, but do you want his throne established tomorrow? Listen, what would happen if you really let him establish your throne in, in, in your finances? What would happen? Can, can I tell you this? It's illegal. It's illegal for you to complain about your finances if you're not a tither. If you're not a consistent tither, it's illegal for you to complain about your finances. Because that ties you to his system. And watch this. It, tithing is just the beginning. Tithing is just a bit, well, that's the Old Testament, brother, that's the law. No, no, no. It happened way before the law when Abraham saw a figure walking in a field, Melchizedek, who had no beginning or no ending. That was way before the law. And he said, I need to give you 10% of what I have just won. That's where tithing really began, and it happens in the New Testament as well. But I'm just telling you, we, we, we have all these things. You say, oh, well, this, that, and it. No, no, no. You don't ever hear us try to manipulate you in money. We do it just like we did every Sunday. You give because you don't have to do it. We can't twist your arm. I'm just telling you, it's illegal for you to complain about your finances if you're not a consistent tither. And for us, tithing is the beginning. <clears throat> it's the beginning. We give over and above, and ultimately, if you study Scripture, you find out that that is the part that brings increase. 
Your 90% is blessed because you tithe, but when you give over and above that in offerings to whatever else, that's what's blessed. I can't tell you how many times, and listen, this is just us learning over 22 years of marriage. This is us learning that we want him to come establish his throne in our finances. I can't tell you how many times there was so much more months left than there was money, but somehow every need was always taken care of every single time. Why? Because we allowed him to come establish a government in our house that we give. But it's just absolutely illegal for us to complain about stuff like that. It's illegal for us to complain about him not healing if we don't believe he can heal it's the same thing right and so what i'm saying is we have to make adjustments in our thought process so that we begin to see him rightly and we begin to see him clearly so that he really will come and establish his throne in our lives everybody okay all right When he establishes his throne, when he establishes his government, it releases a new level of authority. And in order for you to have authority that comes from the throne, you have to have a yes in his heart to, to his government. There has to be a yes in your heart to his government. I want you in every area. I want you in every area. There's a yes in my heart to your government. That absolutely is the fulfillment of on earth as it is in heaven. This is all a result of a people, him establishing his government in a corporate setting, just like we're asking for here. It's, it's the result of a people saying, God, you have preeminence. You have preeminence. I don't even have time to go in this. This was in my notes before I had any clue what Alyssa was reading today or what was happening. Where is the throne of God and what does it look like to have his throne established? Revelation chapter 4. Go read Revelation chapter 4, and that is where you see his throne is established. You see the lightnings and the thunderings, the 24 elders casting their crowns down. And, and that is what we have the opportunity for on earth as it is in heaven. We create a place where he comes on earth as it is in heaven. I believe that the key to on earth as it is in heaven is to create on earth what's in heaven. Go read Revelation chapter 4, exactly what she read at the beginning, and you see what worship looks like. You see what it looks like. An estimated 500,000 tons of water rush over Niagara Falls every minute. On March 29th, 1848, the falls suddenly stopped. People living within the sound of the falls were awakened by the overwhelming silence. They believed it was a sign that the world was coming to an end. It was 30 hours before the rush of water resumed. What happened was heavy winds had set the ice fields of Lake Erie in motion. Tons of ice had jammed the river entrance near Buffalo and stopped the flow of the river until the ice shifted again. I want to speak to a church in North America, and I want to say that we have allowed things to shift into a place that have blocked the flow of the river of God in our services and in our lives, and the silence has been deafening. That's the reason that abortion is still here is because the silence has been deafening. It's the reason that the family has been attacked because the silence has been deafening. But I believe that God is raising up a company of people right now. I believe he's putting together the remnant that will make the shift to cause the waters to begin to flow again. I absolutely 
I want you to hear me. I'm prophesying. I believe that he is raising up right now a remnant of people that will make the shift for him to establish his throne and the river to begin to flow again. The overwhelming silence was deafening when Niagara stopped running. If you've ever been to Niagara, it is an absolute spectacular moment. And we walked by there. And we were overcome because we realized that his voice is like the sound of many waters. Yeah, 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 yeah. And it's rushing. And they were awakened by the silence because the falls had stopped. I'm asking God right now to awaken a generation right now from the silence of being complacent, from the silence of being what we have not been to the world, of of standing in a place of, of just being totally complacent with whatever happens, happens. And I'm asking for a shift to come. And those areas that have been cold and that have iced over that he would begin to absolutely release the river of God, establish his government in our nation and in our generation to begin to flow once again. Several years ago, the Lord woke me up with a very vivid vision. The first thing I saw, I've shared shared this with many of you, it really adjusted the course of where we were going in awakening. He woke me up and the first thing I saw was a snow-capped mountain. And I saw ice and and snow that was melting, and it was almost like a digital game. It would melt, and then it would come back. It would melt, and then it would come back. From there, I saw a rushing river. It would melt, and it would come back. It would melt, and it would go into a rushing river. The next scene was a scene like, like a spring day, and it was as if what was happening here was moved into spring, and I saw rains begin to fall, and there was a river that was rushing. The next scene in the vision was the desert. It was, it was actually a desert in Arizona that I've been to. And it was almost as if the rains were copied and pasted into the, su- the summer scene in Arizona. And again, the rains fall and I see a rushing river. The next scene was winter all over again. He did not show me fall. I said, God, what are you doing? He said, I'm merging the seasons so that there would be continuous flow. The thing that was happening in every portion of the vision was that there was a rushing river that was flowing. This happened in, in, I've got it written down, but it's 2014 or 15, I don't remember. But there's a rushing river. The snow-capped mountains were, were melting and it was becoming a river. It was raining in the spring. It was becoming a river. The rains were copied and pasted into the dry place. It was becoming a river. And then he showed me winter all over again. He said, I'm merging the season so that there would be continuous flow. I said, God, why didn't you show me fall? He said, because fall is the time for harvest. And if I would have shown you fall, you would have thought you had to wait for it to become harvest time in order to reap a harvest. But the thing I'm doing is merging the season so that harvest is ready at any point so that the flow would happen. If you study the history of Ezekiel 47, I did not even put this together until I began to study it. If you study the history of Ezekiel 47, you find that the source of the river that's flowing from the throne to the east is coming from snow-capped mountains that have melted and begin to flow. I started studying in Zechariah, and I find out that there's a river that flows continuously 
over and over. It's a part of the restoration of what God is wanting to do. And I'm telling you that what he's wanting to do is to bring restoration to a people that does not just wait for it to rain so that something happens, but they get rooted so deeply that what's flowing is affecting the roots and causing fruit to grow. He's merging the seasons for continuous flow. And part of that is him establishing his throne and his government. Because the river's flowing from there. So I ask you today, what has to be shifted? What's grown cold? Just like the ice that shifted to block Lake Erie and cause Niagara to stop flowing. What has to be shifted? What has grown cold? And what adjustments have to be made? Father, I love you. I thank you so much for all that you're doing. I thank you for your touch. I thank you for your power. God, I ask that you would give us grace, that you would open our hearts and our ears to hear you. God, I pray that those, those, those hard places in our hearts would begin to, to feel the effect of the river flowing in us. Release that on us today, we pray. Open our hearts in Jesus' name. Whatever shifts have to be made, whatever things have to be adjusted. Thank you for joining us for this week's podcast from Awakening Church. You can find us online at awakeningky.com.